The Bright Wall Podcast, Season 1, Episode 3. The Bright Wall Podcast is brought to you by viewers like you. If you would like to help out production, go to patreon.com slash empty square to become a backer. It's not your fault. God, that's a weird thing to say to somebody. The entire night afterwards, I tried to let it slip out of my mind, just like the ramblings of a crazy woman who once asked me if I was here to eat her grass. But too many other things about her lined up for me to throw it aside completely. I mean, the grass stain... future-telling... thing. I couldn't have dreamed that. Unless she dosed my drink, which, let's be honest here, I can't put it past her. Also, it didn't really hurt anything if I followed up on any of it. Maybe go see the mayor or any higher-ups to see... something. At the very least, to fact-check all the names she told me. And let's be honest here, it's not like I had anything else to do today. Despite the sun just starting to come up, I took the time to lie down for a bit. For the first time, actually, since I started this whole... thing. I was unsure right at the beginning if falling asleep after such an experience was a good idea, but after everything I had just been through, there wasn't a damn thing I could have done about it. This technically being my first night's sleep in Brightwall, I expected it to be fairly uninteresting. But the day had other ideas. You ever have a night where you just can't get comfortable no matter what you do? You get a headache, your shoulder hurts, you need a glass of water, so you get up and stumble your way to the sink, and then you stub your toe on the corner of the wall you're not used to? You try to get back to bed, but now it's too hot, so you try to flip your pillow as many times as you want, but there's no cool side anymore. So you try to find your way to the little air conditioner that barely works to try to give yourself some kind of relief, but on the way you stub your toe again, this time on the other foot, but that doesn't make it hurt any fucking less. You turn on the air conditioner and it sputters to life and sounds like someone just started a go-kart with a lawnmower attached to it, but hey, at least it's a couple degrees cooler. So you lie down in your bed, adjust your pillow every which way to find the magic position that makes it more comfortable. You don't know what position it'll be in because it changes every night, but you'll find it. You finally get everything comfortable and are just about to finally nod off to sleep after three hours of trying, but then of course that glass of water's coming back to haunt you. And no matter how hard you think about it... No, it's not going to go away, and there's no escape, so just get up and go to the bathroom and make your life easier. So you trundle off to the bathroom, which is only a couple of feet away, thank God, but it doesn't stop you from stubbing your first goddamn toe on the same goddamn piece of wall you did last goddamn time. You hit the bathroom, do your job, go to wash your hands, because even though you're alone right now, you weren't raised in a barn. You look at yourself in the mirror, and you don't recognize that guy. Now, I don't mean this in the metaphorical, what-have-I-become kind of way, but physically... I looked as though I had aged 30 years in less than a day. I physically recoiled like the image had burned me. I reached up and touched my face, but everything felt normal. I tried to focus a little bit harder in the mirror, rubbing my eyes. Maybe there was just sleep in it or the fact that I wasn't wearing my glasses. It had to be something. I stared at the mirror again really hard and saw myself as I had always been. I think the town's getting to me. The whole story, the disappearance, and the fact that I still hadn't really slept and going on 30 hours now. This can't be healthy. I sat back down on the bed to gather my thoughts and calm myself down a little bit. It was probably about noon at this point, and I could either fall asleep again and play that whole game some more, or I could get up and muscle through the rest of the day and try to get some more work done. The bed wasn't that comfortable anyway. I had names. A George Kennedy the 13th, which is a hell of a long family line to keep the same name going down for that long when you think about it. And a Mayor Vaughn, first name withheld for some reason. At the very least, I could get some sort of timeline going on, depending on when Kennedy was apparently assassinated and when Vaughn took over. 
For all I knew, Vaughn could still be the mayor today. It never even occurred to me that I could check such a thing out. I was never really a fan of politics at the local level, you know? It was probably 80 degrees outside, but it felt like about 114. It's like this town didn't want to exist. Like there's monsters running around, government corruption at the top level, and it's hot. I decided to hit the city hall first. A modest building, probably the most official and expensive looking building in the entire town. City hall surprisingly looked like a place where stuff got done. I opened the door and stepped inside to the blessedly cold air conditioning. It was a rather busy place. Folks in suits were going from room to room, some on cell phones talking about one thing or another. I was honestly pretty taken aback. It was like walking into a Starbucks from Westeros. These kinds of things shouldn't go together like they are. Being the only one not in a suit, I tried to blend in as best I could by walking quickly with my head down trying to look busy. I was caught almost immediately. Excuse me, a secretary said from across the sea of people. Can I help you? Are you here to see somebody specific? Do you have an appointment? I could tell by her shrill voice and the fact that she asked me three questions in a row like that, that she knew I didn't belong here and was looking for a way to get me out so these people can focus on their own damn jobs. But as I had no technical appointment or reason for being here at all outside my own personal reasons, I had to lie. In fact, you can help me, I said, like a liar. I was wondering if you could point me into the direction of the mayor's office, or perhaps an assistant of some sort. I work for the, uh... Do, do you guys have the New York Times up here? No, she said. I work for them. We're doing a story on small town mayors and how they're changing the country for the better at the local level. And is it just possible for me to kip up there real quick to see them? Okay, I get it. It's not a perfect story, no. But honestly, for something I made up on the spot, I don't think that was too bad. She didn't seem too thrilled with it, though. I'm sorry, Mr. Andrew, I said honestly, like a moron. Andrew, uh, Lloyd Weber? Andrew Lloyd Weber, she asked. Yep, mom was a huge fan of cats. Interesting, she said. Mine too, my middle name is actually Mungo Jerry. <laughs> wow, crazy, what a small world, eh? Unfortunately, serendipitous naming aside, Mayor Queen isn't taking any calls today. Nor will she for the foreseeable future. Mayor Queen? In interesting. Um, just for my own personal information so I can make things look right in the article, how long has Mayor Queen been in power? Going on 15 years now. She won the position after beating the previous mayor, Mayor Terwilliger. I could only ask so many more questions before it got awkward, especially because I didn't know how far back Kennedy or Vaughn was. Or come to think about it, if they were even real people. I thanked her for the help and the information, left my number on the desk for a future call that would never come, and headed back out again. So we're going back at least 15 years at the very least, depending on how many people liked this Terwilliger guy. And if he was a big fan favorite, even more than that. Either the meth addict was stringing me along, or this Brightwall issue went way, way back further than I had previously thought. Despite getting shot down when I asked about it the first time, I decided to seek out a library of some sort. Or failing that, someplace with a computer I could Google some of these names. My phone, for whatever reason, was worth nothing out here. I couldn't connect to the data plan to save its life. And its call reception was spotty at best. Most calls, if I can hear anything, are mostly static or some hint of a voice coming through, but I can't really make anything out of it. If this podcast becomes anything, it'll be a damning indictment against Rogers Wireless. The library, a short five-minute walk away, was a small dusty building that looked as though no one had even been near it in the last 10 to 15 years. Like everything else, the only way to discern what it was you were looking at was the small library sign on the front of the door that no one had touched since the Reagan administration. 
I looked through the window just to see the kind of people who came in and out of this place, but it looked absolutely deserted inside. I worried for a second that maybe it was just closed for good, but I tried the door anyway, and it opened just the same. So I took that to mean it was good to go. Inside, I could feel my sinuses slam shut. The dust from the room filled my lungs. Between this and the creepy breathing cave, I'm honestly not sure which one I preferred. It was fairly dark and dreary inside, despite the fluorescent lights above me humming as hard as they possibly could. To the right of me was the main librarian desk, with nobody at it. Beyond that was a couple of computers that were probably at their newest from 1996. In front of me were the book stacks, rows upon rows of books of every shape and size and color, hopefully full of the information I was looking for. To the left there were a couple of rooms blocked off by their doors. I assumed they were just conference moves and moved on with my life, because as I had learned from Danny's house, going into other people's private rooms led to horrifying discoveries, of which I'm still trying to reckon with. I decided to just plow into the stacks of books to see if I could find something of note. I'm sure they were all organized in some way, but to this day I don't understand the Dewey Decimal System, so yanking random books off the shelf would have to do. Checking the books and all their authors, they all seemed fairly normal at a glance. It wasn't until I really started looking at some of the book that I realized that none of the titles or authors looked familiar. And in some cases, none of the titles even made sense. Novels like A Big Red Balloon by Joseph Montgolfer, Gumpel Stiltskin by Franklin the Turtle, Pump Up the Funk by the entire country of France. This one just says, This is a book written in all caps by I, Ron Butterfly. I'm no literary scholar, of course, but none of these are real. Opening up one of them to a random page and just reading the first couple of pages, the story started normal. But by about page 10, all of them started to dissolve into random nonsense syllables. It was like trying to read dummy Latin. I felt like I was on set of a TV show or something like that. Everything seemed to be a prop to make someone look smarter than they really were. I didn't expect the nonfiction side to be any better, but I didn't come here for no reason, so it was worth it to check anyway. I headed straight for the Brightwall history books, of which there were quite a few to be honest, but none of them were really helpful to me. Things like the history of Brightwall's chili cook-off, Brightwall and its love of bricks, the complete encyclopedia guide to Brightwall's famous nudists, of which there are way more than you'd expect. Nothing, however, led me to the mayoral candidates or politics or even how Brightwall itself came to be. But if you wanted to learn all about Brightwall's Warhammer 40k tournaments, there was a 300-page textbook all about it, with full-color illustrations written by a Horace Leperkel, whoever the hell that is. I could tell that whatever this place was supposed to be, it was no use to me whatsoever. So I turned to leave back where I came from when I was met with a tall, gaunt lady out of the Tim Burton films. She looked as though she was a raven who had turned into a human being against her will. She shushed me even though I wasn't talking out loud and beckoned me to follow her. At this point, I was kind of used to strange people telling me what to do, and with no regard for my own safety, I followed along. She led me back to the front of the library, where I thought for a second she was just going to kick me out because I upset her nesting time or something, but she led me to the main desk. I tried to ask where it was we were going and what it was we were doing here, but then she just shushed me again, so I shut up. She sat down behind the desk and started typing something up on the computer in front of her. Same 1996 brand as all the others in the room, so it wasn't like they were keeping all the good stuff for themselves. After a minute or so of her silent typing, she stood up again so quickly that it almost kind of scared me, and beckoned me to follow her once again. I duly obliged and followed her out into the stacks of books. She seemed to be looking for something specific. We were about four rows over from where I was originally, so I guess I can throw the maybe she's trying to help me look for clues card away. She finally came to a copy of Legendary Adventures by Gary Gygax, which is actually the first actual book with a name I recognized since I got here. She pulled it out of its slot, and then the wall behind it opened up, 
and beyond it was an honest-to-God, real-life secret passageway. Like we were in an old-school Agatha Christie novel, or she was Dracula or some shit. This is the coolest thing to ever happen to me, I said out loud. Shh, she replied. The hallway went on for a little bit, made of stone all the way around. A dull light emanating from somewhere I couldn't see lit the way for us, just enough to not fall over and break something. After a couple of turns, we came into another room. A room that I imagined the common rooms from Harry Potter would have looked like. Plush chairs and couches, a fireplace off to the side, and the walls lined with books on bookshelves. It was downright cozy. I looked around in awe for a bit before I remembered there was a reason we were here. Why did you bring me here? I asked. Shh, she replied, and pointed up towards one of the bookshelves. It took me a while to figure out what exactly she was pointing at, but I followed her finger and realized that these books were actual, like, books with names and authors of people I recognized. Everything from Douglas Adams to Neil Gaiman to Isaac Asimov to Allen Ginsberg. And for some reason, the biography of Chris Jericho, which didn't help me in the slightest. And I already read it. I was taken aback for a second when I finally got to what she was showing me. The Complete History of Brightwall, written by Alex Forsett. Written, it seemed, only about five years ago. So this was as good and as recent a copy as I was going to find. I turned to the creepy raven librarian and thanked her, and asked why all this was down here instead of up there in the actual library. Shh, she replied. Okay, I said. But how did you know I was looking for this kind of thing anyway? I hadn't said anything from the moment I came in here. Shh, she replied. Why help me at all? I asked. If these are supposed to be hidden away from outsiders like me, why point me in the right direction? Shh she replied. You know, that really isn't as helpful as you seem to think it is, I said trying to get literally any other word out from her just so I could feel a sense of normalcy again. She didn't shush me this time. She did, however, sit down on one of the chairs closest to her, and even then she was so tall we could only now see eye to eye. She beckoned me over one last time to come closer. I took a few uneasy steps towards her to see what exactly she was trying to show me, and she opened her mouth, wide enough for me to look in. Someone or something, perhaps both, had ripped out her tongue. I apologized profusely, and I asked how it happened, or why it happened, or how she got into the situation, if there was something, anything I could do to help her out, or thank her for the help she had given me. She tapped on the book she gave me gently, shook her head, looked me in the eyes, and said, Shh. I thanked her for the help one last time and showed myself up and out of the library itself. This was getting heavy in a way I hadn't planned on. I tried to push everything aside in my brain once again and focus on the new information. I had a book, and I was going to read this book. And if anything Gertie had told me was legitimate, it was probably going to be somewhere in this book. It was a couple minutes past three when I finally left the library. My head felt about 40 pounds heavier what with all the dust playing havoc with my sinuses, the new list of crazy things I had seen, and the lack of sleep finally catching up to me. As much and as desperately as I wanted to break into this new book immediately to give myself another lead in which to follow, I didn't know how much longer I could possibly be awake and decided to call it a very, very early night. That is, until my phone beeped. I checked and apparently I had gotten a voicemail sometime while I was in the library. Which was weird, right? Because, like, who leaves voicemails anymore? Just text me, what the hell are you doing? But I decided to listen to it anyway, because, hey, what a novelty, right? 
And even though I thought it was just going to be another robocaller telling me I had won a cruise or something, it turned out to be the secretary from the city hall. Hello, Mr. Lloyd Webber. I am calling you this evening to inform you that our mayor, Mayor Queen, would like to extend to you the interview in which you requested. Please arrive today at your earliest convenience. Well, hot damn, I thought. Things are actually starting to turn my way. I decided to drop the book off at the hotel room and make my way immediately to the mayor's office in City Hall. I waved hi to the secretary, who I think outside of her look of almost complete and utter disdain, is happy I'm here. According to the directions at the front of the office building, the mayor's office was at the very end of a long hallway. Like most things are in Brightwall, it seems. The hallway was alive with the sound of people's voices doing what I assumed was some sort of very intense political stuff. But I noticed that every time I would pass one of the doors on my way to the mayor's office, that room would go completely silent. As if they were worried I was listening in on their conversation, trying to figure out what they were saying. Which, okay, I mean, like, they're right and I was, but still, like, that's a weird thing to do. The mayor's door was bigger and heavier than everyone else's. I guess it pays to be the person in charge. I gave it a knock and somebody told me to enter, so I heaved that big-ass door open as nonchalantly as I possibly could. The mayor was an older woman, about 50 or so, in a very professional suit, very calming demeanor, making me realize that I was way too unkempt and underdressed to be meeting a mayor right now. But regardless, I shook her hand, sat down with her, and with her agreement, set up the mic to record. I really appreciate this. It's it's a whole lot easier to write the article when you can record the conversation and everything. Oh, not a problem. I've done a fair few of these in my day already. Well, that's good. At least one of us knows what we're doing, right? That is my job. That, that is true. That, uh, that, is, that is her job. Uh, anyway, uh, I guess we can start at the beginning. When it comes to Brightwall, what brought you to this- Is this this your first time? Excuse me? Interviewing someone. Is this your first time? You look nervous. Well, no, not- well, not technically. I recently had a run-in with a homeless vagrant the other day who answered some questions, but outside of that, I guess, yeah. That's fine. I deal with nervous reporters all the time. Just take a deep breath, and we'll keep going. You know, actually, that does help. Okay, uh, so when it comes to Brightwall... Before what... we start in earnest, may I ask you, what brought you to the town? Oh, uh, me? Well, um, it's my job at the the paper, I said. Um, I'm, I'm looking for people who are, who are hoping to change America from the and local... And your lab... paper is the LA Times, correct? Yeah, yep, yep, yep. Uh, worked there for a couple years now. And what made you pick Brightwell? Oh, I um, I guess I, I kind of just picked it off a map, I guess. Ran- randomly, I suppose. Now, Mr. Cooper, you're not being honest with me, are you? What gives you that idea? I have been nothing but forthright and upcoming since I got here, and when did you start calling me Mr. Cooper? Just relax. What's happening? What did, what did you do to me? What, what can't what can't I move? Why did you come here? What brought you here? I can't I can't I can't I can't I can't I can't move. This goes so much faster if you answer the questions quickly and honestly. What brought you here? It, it was it was the it was the attack it was the attacks on on Brightwall they're they're all over the news and I I just I just wanted to help. Help? Help what? 
Does it look like we need help, Mr. Cooper? N- no, no, not not you. I just there was a guy and he's, 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 he's Danny. It was his name. He he went missing and I I just wanted to see what happened to him specifically. I just I wanted to give people some kind of closure. Out of the kindness of your own heart. I'm sorry. No, not yet. Which attack? Pardon? Which attack do you think took Danny? It was the it was the mud bend one, the one that flooded the town with dirt and everything. I think that's what I I think. This is incorrect. What? This is incorrect. There were no attacks on Brightwall. Yeah. Yes. There. There was. There's. There's footage. There. There are pictures. I've seen them. There were no attacks on Brightwall. Repeat it. I, no, I, I can't. I just can't. I, it's, it's not... Andrew, relax. <laughs> Please stop. There were no attacks on Brightwall. I just... There were no attacks on Brightwall. Can I just... <laughs> there were no attacks on Brightwall. Repeat it for me, please. Andrew, repeat it for me, please. There were no attacks on Brightwall. There... There were no... Almost there. There were no attacks on Brightwall. Again, please. There were no attacks on Brightwall. One more time, please. There were no attacks on Brightwall. What happened to Danny, Andrew? He is no longer with us. Why is that? I do not know. He died in a car accident, didn't he? He did. What happened to Danny, Andrew? He died in a car accident. What about the attacks on Brightwall? There were no attacks on Brightwall. What will you tell your listeners? There were no attacks on Brightwall. Very good. I'm glad we could have this talk. The secretary will see you on the way out. Make sure you get some rest. You look exhausted. I don't really know when I fell asleep after my meeting with the mayor, but I do know I slept for like a solid 16 hours or so. I woke up about as rested as humanly possible, which was a dire change from the last night, let me tell you. And you know, as much as I've come to love this place, Brightwall and all of its little weird idiosyncrasies and its strange people and a disconcerting number of plain empty buildings, I've come to a bit of a brick wall when it comes to the investigation into Brightwall and Danny's case. Last night, I found an old newspaper in my room. Somebody must have left it for me in the night. I I don't know. But right there on the front page, Daniel Ingram, dead in a car accident sometime earlier this year. I I don't know how I could have possibly missed it, but it looks like it's Uckham's Razor. The simplest answer was the correct one after all. As for all the other weird stuff I saw going on in the town, I, I it must have just been me freaking myself out, trying so hard to, like pull something together for the sake of the podcast because all the evidence is really piling up and it can't be ignored anymore. There were no attacks on Brightwall. I think maybe it was just like a local prankster or something trying to trick the news into getting his hometown on TV or something. But it would certainly explain the fact that no one was really talking about it after it all happened, eh? So it is with a heavy heart that I have to announce that This is the last episode of the Brightwall Podcast. A short adventure, I know, but honestly, maybe it's all for the best. You know, there's no reason to keep dragging things on way past their best-by date. 
if anything else weird or, or wacky comes our way, I mean, we might make another one of these. I mean, I guess I can't exactly call it the Brightwall podcast. You can't slap the name Brightwall on it, but you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, I guess. But until then, guys, I hope you had fun. I hope it was entertaining. I hope you learned a little bit. Uh, make sure to comment if you like it. Subscribe to the channel. Smash that like button because apparently that's a big thing that helped. Really? Right in the middle of my goodbye speech? Hello? Hello? Anyone there? Look, if this is about the pool table, we already sold it. Can you hear me? Yeah, kinda. I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes. Well then, who is this? This is Danny. This concludes our broadcast day. Set, he's, 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 set, he's